This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. First episode that's being recorded from the new Andrew Cunningham Studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in my new house. Mm-hmm. And Craig, you came. You've been over to my new house two times. That's true. One time there wasn't much in it. You were painting some stuff. Mm-hmm. Your cat was not there yet. No. And I stood on your roof and said, "What a view." Yeah. And then. Uh, <laughs> After so so that was the first time and that was pretty good that was like pretty idyllic whatever, and the second time you came over is because we wanted to put our couch in the basement. Yes, and we needed some help like moving the couch. It's a big old heavy couch, and the problem was that it wouldn't quite go down the stairs, but I was pretty <laughs> sure that it would if you like twisted it just the right way. Yeah, there was like some laws of physics that we really wanted to violate to get that mm-hmm. sucker down the mm-hmm. stairs mm-hmm. and so the laws well we didn't violate any laws of physics because <laughs> we tore like a two-foot gash in the wall of my new home i think that by the time you're 50 that this gash will have become 10 feet wide <laughs> i'm gonna fix it man I'm no i mean it. in your telling of the story when you told us on what was that Friday? I think you said it was six inches, and it's, now no, it, is- it definitely. <laughs> see, since the last time I told the story, I've had time to evaluate the the gash a little bit more. And once oh. I cut all the like mostly bad drywall and not just like the part that we made a hole in, it's like it's a pretty big hole. It's okay, a pretty big hole that we made. But the couch is down there now. It is. Is this a funny story? Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And And just for a second, I was like, wait, what is my name? (laughs) I got just like an instant of deer in the headlights. Like, wait, am, am I ready to do this part? I think you are ready, Andrew. I think you are. You're, we, we saved the day. Your couch is in the basement. You're wife and best friend and co-host are not trapped in your basement by a couch nope nobody's trapped in the basement because that and please do not tell anyone otherwise because <laughs> that was a real possibility there uh i was willing to crawl through your couch but i don't think you wanted me to do that so no 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 we got down there we did we got down there and i'm couch, sure hashtag couch stories couch tales couch tales woo woo and we will uh, be sure to keep everyone posted on your further furniture adventures because that's clearly going to be the most interesting part of you living maybe down we'll here. Just, maybe you just tweet that picture of us looking at the gash. Oh, oh, yeah. I think I will. I think it's I'll some, put that out there. Social media engagement. Engagement. We're going to talk about books and couches, but books. Mostly books. 
So every week one of us reads a book and talks to the other person about it. Sometimes that person has just moved. Sometimes that person has just been sick. And sometimes everyone's just in a good mood. And we're, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's doing fine. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Usually one of us is like picking up the other person. And then you guys pick us up after the after the. Sometimes, sometimes we vote just down. Yeah, that happens. Sometimes we vote just down them dumps. We down, down in them dumps. We Craig, down in them you dumps. Read. What I... books did you read? Find in that dump. <laughs> hey, this book is not for the dump. This is a pretty good book. I read Shadow Shaper by uh, Daniel Jose Older, mm-hmm. and it was recommended to us by one of our illustrious Patreon donors, patreoncom slash uh Martha, who recommended a couple of different books. And this one seemed to make the most sense for what we're up to. It seemed a little, it seemed up my alley. Um, Older has written a handful of novels and one or two short story collections. He's written the Half Resurrection Blues series, which I think just started last year. Midnight Taxi Tango. Wait, what uh, is the Half Resurrected Blues? Is it about a ghost? It might be. He's into ghosts. And supernatural stuff. Okay. Uh, salsa Nocturna is a short story collection. He's a Brooklyn-based. That's my favorite kind of salsa. Stop it. Sometimes you get the mild. Sometimes you get the spicy. And sometimes you get the salsa Nocturna, which is the salsa that you eat at one in the morning <laughs> when you're watching Netflix, and you're just trying to trying to forget how you'll feel in the morning because you ate all that salsa. Okay. He also wrote the Bone Street Rumba series, which yeah, he's into he's into dances. Mm-hmm. I think no dance. There's some dancing in this book. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, is there a Bone Street Rumba? I don't think so. There okay. is some salsa though. Mm-hmm. Salsa nocturna. Is this a, yeah, okay. definitely. It's salsa mm-hmm. at, at nighttime, and you eat it. Nighttime salsa. Get in my <laughs> mouth. I was just going to let you go there. Thank you for that one. You need a little salsa mm-hmm. to make it all right. Yep. Uh, interesting thing about Older <laughs> is he worked for 10 years as an EMT. Ooh, right, yeah. And he wrote like stories almost every day based on his work as an EMT. And that's I something... I imagined you get some stories out of that. Yeah. And he started writing fiction like in his free time. And he kind of like was motivated to not just be like helping people who'd fallen down or had done too many drugs, like get to and from the hospital. Like it's, he wasn't doing, you know, help uh elderly folk get to their appointments during the day like he was mm-hmm. doing nighttime emt stuff which i imagine is pretty stressful uh and i could imagine after a period of time unless that's like your passion maybe you want to do something else i don't know he's he's kind of moved into uh writing full time as i understand or close to it mm-hmm. and he's been yeah, he had a couple teaching. books come out in 2015 yeah. right like one was shadow shaper and then um, the half resurrection blues series right yeah mm-hmm. I keep forgetting the name of Shadow Shaper. Like people yeah. keep asking me what we were reading this week, and I'm like, "Oh, it's Shadow something." It, I know it it's just, got Shadow in it. And it I can't just remember. gets away from me every time. Yeah, and I, it shouldn't. 
because in the context of the book, it makes way more sense than just like two words jammed together. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're off. What to else it. about Daniel Jose Older? So did you come across some of his writing about diversity in fictions, particularly child and YA fiction? Yeah, um, this is this stuff that I found is from a Guardian interview with him. Mm hmm. Um, it's by Ashley C. Ford. The yeah. title is Daniel Jose Older Creates Female Black Heroes to Make Fantasy More Real. And um, this is a paragraph him of him talking about The Hunger Games and its ilk. Now, I think his beef was not so much with The Hunger Games, the book, as it was with the whitewashed casting of the movie. But Correct. the book spawned a bunch of dystopian YA fiction that is all very, very white. Like, white people are the only people who bad stuff has ever happened to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he says, um, he he chalks that lack of diversity up to a, quote-unquote, phenomenal lack of imagination and a laziness he feels that is designed to keep some people out of the picture to be able to figure out all these quirky things about what you imagine the future will be like and not somehow have any folks of color doing anything heroic or worthwhile in it. What happened? He asked. Where do we go? Yeah. He and he's, he's he's got like he went on a bit of a crusade to get the the World Fantasy Award used to just be a hideous bust of HP Lovecraft. Yeah, which apparently The bust itself was a little Lovecraftian. In which the, I find uh, yeah, fitting. I think someone in the eighties actually didn't want it because they thought it was an insulting bust of yeah, Lovecraft. It's not a good bust of him. But yeah, he successfully I think this happened in yep. twenty fourteen. He successfully campaigned to get the the award changed so it was not a ugly bust of a white man and uh yeah in on the on wikipedia which i love the <laughs> view from nowhere that you get on wikipedia <laughs> older expressed delight at the news and posted on his twitter account and this is in all caps they just announced the world fantasy award will no longer be hp lovecraft we did it you did it it's done yes comma older tweeted oh Twitter is our record for you history get now, huh? All them S's in that, yes. Oh man. It's like eight S's. Okay. Uh in that same article from The Guardian, he talks about his two of his mentors, uh Cherie Renee Thomas, um, and Tenen Rive who point out to him that, you know, black women are rarely positioned as protagonists in sci fi and fantasy. So his he very deliberately makes the main character Sierra in Shadow Shaper uh, an Afro Latina woman of Puerto Rican descent, mm-hmm. um, and he also wrote an article in 2014 for BuzzFeed called "Diversity Is Not Enough: Race, Power, and Publishing." And I was reading this, Andrew, and I was reminded of some of the panels that we heard kind of ongoing at Book Riot Live last year. Like there mm-hmm. were this was a this was a hot topic and has been for a couple of years as I think people's voices are getting increasingly heard on the matter. And one of the things that has stuck with me is something that he says, um, let's go back to this. It's not for you to relate to, he says, write that in the sky. And it's true. He's talking about uh, authors of color kind of disguising like white narratives and white characters as 
characters of color to get them through to white publishers and agents. Like, and he and I. So that's this. All right. So so that means you're writing stories about white people who happen to be experiencing the things that people of color would be experiencing or the the orange is the new black phenomenon some of that we're using a white person as a trojan horse to get white people to think about people who aren't white people yes and and he's also talking about writing diverse stories in or he doesn't really like the word diversity because he thinks that we should be able to get past that he thinks I, i was watching a video of him arguing that like we're using that word now because it is it can be inclusive and it, it helps fight the fight, but ideally we would get to a point where that's not the word we need. Um, what is the what? He says he doesn't know what the word is, but that the word... Right, see, as I find that not especially helpful. The word as it's used now uh, is very aware of the power structure and the world you want to get to is past the power structure. Okay. If that... That I mean, that smacks of like post-racial or whatever to me. The, sure. The, the kind of stuff that we try to use to describe people who are past stuff, but I don't. And I, and I, don't I won't. Know. I won't proclaim to know the the full nuance of his argument, so I don't want. Sure, sure, I sure. want to take that down from him. Um, but he was. He's mostly talking about telling stories of non-white cultures in their own modes of narrative and not like okay this is adhering to expectations of a white readership of how characters talk or how uh story beats drop or you know the style like magical realism i think is in a lot of ways there there are latin american and and latino voices that have a very particular version of that that draws on ancestry and heritage Mm -hmm. that when it gets when it crosses over into other authors, be they white authors, it like changes and isn't isn't drawing on the same inspiration. I think that's kind of what he's talking about is okay. uh, whitewashing it from the inside, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also has a really fascinating, I just want to mention this because I had not ever thought about it before, is a really fascinating video on why he doesn't italicize any Spanish in his writing. Mm-hmm. And he cites Juno Diaz in this, in that for someone who is uh, natively bilingual in that way, they don't, it's a hilarious video because he's like switching in and out of costumes whenever he says Spanish words to illustrate how cartoonish and terrible that is. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I was going to say, is it, is it a thing where he's just like, yeah, this should not be set off. Yes. Mm -hmm. In any way, because why should it be not normal? Yeah, and he's kind of allowing, or he wants authors of color to not have to write for white audiences or publishers. Like, just let your story be what it is, and write yeah, that's the way a, that's that you a think. tricky sort of style guide sort of thing. Because I'll, I'll, when I'm writing stuff for ours, I will. Oh sure. I'll italicize, like turns of phrase that have made it into English like um like your raisined etras and and whatever your bone mows yeah my bone mows <laughs> god our twitter pronunciation please i'm you know what we're just we're giving them something to do that's what i tell myself yeah uh-huh mhm so you mostly french words it sounds like for you 
I, I mean, you, you have a sample size it. of one, but yeah, yeah, I think that a lot of that stuff tends to be French, right? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. In the way that Romance languages made their way into English through William the Conqueror, who came from France, yada, 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 what are yada, the, yada. What are, what are the Bromance languages? Um, Germanic. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I got. Okay, yeah. No, I turned us down dead alley. That's fine. I just like... I thought you might help me out with another one. Sometimes we could I just do like a free association word thing, like... But then you Our don't friends, play. I well, it's like sometimes I don't have ideas. I'm just like maybe Craig will have an idea that will help me have an idea. Oh, okay. Like our like our friend Catherine sent us a picture of her daughter in a tutu, and I was like, I was I wanted to call her Desmond because it made me think of Desmond Tutu. I wanted to also. Oh no! <laughs> and it's like not a joke. No, it's, it's just not. Your it's brain. not anything. It's just like, oh, this is the word that I my brain did when <laughs> you said tutu. <laughs> my my brain is constantly playing hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Is really what's going on. <laughs> if you say a word, I am constantly thinking of the next. I related think my word. mine is like match game. Yeah, it's like what would what would an audience of a hundred people, if polled, say <laughs> if they In were response. presented with this word? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Let's uh, we're we're gonna get into this book, but I do want to mention real quick, Andrew, that we about a month or so from now are gonna be doing a live show. Oh yeah, in your new hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, at the Tattoo Bomb as part of the fourth annual Philadelphia Podfest. Yeah, do you need to like? Hop in with any other information? I, no, maybe six p.m. We're gonna be there. Yeah, six p.m. We're we're closing the show at the Tattooed Mom that Saturday, so that's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Come come down. We've gotten a lot of Twitter interest about people asking, "Oh, should I fly out from California or come down from New York?" The answer, of course, is always yes. Uh huh. And since the show is happening on a Saturday, you can like stay overnight. You can do some of the other things in Philadelphia. You can come see my other podcast, Appointment Television, at 4 p.m. at the same Never venue. Yeah. Um, you can hang out with us and get like pretty drunk, not like dangerously <laughs> drunk, but like pretty drunk. Like, imagine you just did two podcasts in front of a bunch of people and you're sort of crowd averse, like that level of drunk. Yeah, Andrew, and I, this is also a bar where Andrew and I shared two flights of barley wine. So I get a little contact drunk just by walking by that place. Yeah, yeah. And and for those of you who don't know, barley wine is like beer extract. <laughs> Uh, you can also come and have a real good time if you're sober. You don't need to get drunk with us. You can just come yeah. say hi. We'll talk well, about Watership Down. To, yeah, I do think you need to be 21 or over to get into the bar. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Because we got some questions about that. But yeah, um, Saturday, August 20th, Tattooed Mom, 6 p.m. Uh, no tickets or anything required. You just it's come free. In, you sit down. You have a good time. And uh, I imagine we'll be handing out some like gaws there. I don't know what that is. Or do it's like doodad. It's like a doodad. A Guga? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna be hand, we're, we'll probably hand out some stuff. Is that we'll from one hi. of them bromance languages? Yeah. 
man, I'm just like barely holding it together. I love it. I love it. Let's keep going. Let's tell talk about, about tell no talk to me about Shadow Stomper. Like maybe <laughs> Tell me what happens. Do you mean Shadow Shaper? Yeah, I mean Shadow Shaper. Okay. So tell me about Shadow Haver. Okay, so there's a young woman named Sierra Santiago. She's a high school age uh, girl living in Brooklyn, New York City. And I don't New know York if you have City. I don't know if you have feelings about Brooklyn, Andrew. Mostly a weird deep-seated inferiority complex. <laughs> Not the well-worn uh, like New York Times, how the hell do those people live? Stance. No, it's not that. It's just like I lived in Jersey City for three years, and like, why do you think you're better than me? <laughs> we live like the same distance apart from the thing where you actually want to live but can't afford to. It's like the same. The same stuff motivates us, guys. Yeah. Okay. Why you okay. got to get all up in my face about it? I'm just mad. It's all. Okay. Great. <laughs> So that's, uh, those are my feelings about Brooklyn. So Sierra the Shadow Stepper lives in <laughs> Brooklyn. And it, and I'll say that Older's Brooklyn is not quite as uh, bespoke as real Brooklyn. Does that like mean less, like less white people? Like yeah, less gentrified? It is. Well, so that's... I think part of this book deliberately rolls that back a little bit and makes this Brooklyn a little more diverse so that it can more uh so that i can weave in that gentrification as part of the story yeah Um, right because that's that's like the brooklyn of maybe 10 15 20 years ago i'm not as familiar with like the that timeline vacation process as i would like to be i know that a lot of that was happening to jersey city as we were living there because brooklyn had gotten so gentrified and so expensive that people needed a cheaper alternative to the thing that was supposed to be the cheaper alternative. (laughs) Yeah. They needed a place to go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is, it feels more like a small neighborhood at times. Um, One that is more, you know, really tightly wound to uh, Sierra's community of uh, Latinos of varying descent. Um, You know, some are from Puerto Rico, some from Cuba, some are, there are some folks from Haiti, uh, from the Dominican. Yeah, and I feel like you see a lot of stuff in like books and TV shows about characters like characters like that getting kind of like they all get lumped together by by white people or like other people. It, it's it's hard to get them it's hard for them to like get across that yeah, we're not all like the same just because Oh yeah. <laughs> we're from like south of the border and we have brown skin. I'll actually jump ahead to talk about this because since we're talking about the the gentrification issue, there is a scene about halfway through the book where the quest has begun. I'll tell you what the quest is in a second, but Sierra no, stop and... Stop interrupting. That's okay. He interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, you know, shadow sliding your way through this episode. It's yeah, fine. just shadow surfing. <laughs> uh, Sierra and her friends Izzy and T and Big Jerome and Benny. It's a great crew of people. I need you to call me Big Jerome from now on. <laughs> At one point, he tosses little Jerome into a pool. It's pretty sweet. Big Jerome. Oh, there's the a little Jerome? Yeah. Nice. Um, they're all hanging out at a like fancy coffee shop in Brooklyn that as they're on their way to like hang out and kind of pour over 
like a puzzle that they kind of have to figure out in the quest. Um, they're like bemoaning the public transit situation and they make some, you know, pretty offhand but insightful remarks about how as soon as more boutiques and bars open up, then, you know, train stations will stop, you know, right, will start yeah. showing up around here. Um, and they're very clearly like out of their element. Like there's a lot of references to everyone in this coffee shop is like has their headphones in and they're studying or like doing a crossword and then here are some uh, Latino teens like talking about their problems really loud in the coffee shop and like mm -hmm. having a good time with it. And at one point, I think it's Izzy goes off about, uh, you know, white cultural anthropologists like writing about different communities and like, why can't she become a cultural anthropologist and start writing about white people, like <laughs> writing about yuppies and hippies and hipsters and like turn it back on them. Mm -hmm. And then it prompts, I think Jerome is like, hey, what's, where's it? Everybody know where their people's from? And they're like, Jerome, what are you talking? What? Like, why you just, why would you just say that so bluntly? But then it's, it prompts a conversation where each of them kind of check in with where, their folks are from mm -hmm. where their folks folks are from mm -hmm. and i not being a member of that community i don't know how those conversations go down but it felt pretty honest in in well, this scenario and you know and for you and i i think we would have to go back a couple of generations to yeah. get to people whose answer is not just like oh we're just like we're just white people like you we're from here certainly uh, and I don't know, part of what this book is about, a lot of what this book is about, is heritage and ancestry. And it's woven into the magic that exists in this book. If you want a reference point for how magic kind of works in this book, go back and listen to our episode on The Dark is Rising. Because it really is this nebulous, magic is as magic serves the plot form. Mm-hmm where like some people have powers and they're really fuzzily defined on purpose so that they can have more power when like the story needs them to. They're not like, they don't have a, there's no D and D rule set for shadow shaping. <laughs> if that makes sure. sense. Yes, absolutely. So the book opens up with Sierra. She is artistically inclined uh, and her friend Manny, uh, Manny the Domino King, he's called. He's an older guy in the community who plays dominoes. Everybody, apparently, he's really good at it because he's called the Domino King. Yeah. That's either a, a nickname you get from being good at dominoes or, <laughs> or a the worst. you get from being the worst, like comically bad at dominoes. Uh, so or for owning a dominoes. That's <laughs> like five dominoes. Uh, yeah. Someone has started erecting a. Uh, tower in their neighborhood that's like five stories tall it's concrete slab it like has no character to it and is a really big eyesore in this tight-knit community and so they're gonna paint this big mural on it to kind of like a show the people who are building it what's what mm -hmm. and be like at least attempt to take ownership over this piece of property that's being erected in like the middle of their neighborhood Mm -hmm. and she's like painting this big dragon on it and she while she's working she sees this other mural of another of a recently passed older man in the community uh and he looks like he's crying 
and she sees the tear like actually move down his face. And she's like, What's that what's that about? Murals they, can't they Murals can't cry. They found out a way to get gifts on the side of a building. It, basically. Finally. Yeah. It's been, been a lot of time. Um actually they the, all these characters say gifs. It's kinda weird. Um <laughs> Just to troll you, Andrew. Uh, and so she that's like a little hint that something is up with the world. And she is gonna go to this party. It's like the last it's like the it's like this big party, I think at the end of the school year before the summer kind of kicks off. And she goes home first to get ready. You meet her mom, you meet her best friend Benny, and she visits her grandfather, whose name is Lazaro. Um, and she affectionately refers to him as Abuelo a lot. And he is functionally like a, he's not quite a vegetable, but he can't speak and he's often in bed. And something like he had a stroke about a year ago after his wife passed and he hasn't been the same since. And he is like muttering to her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, and tells her that Someone is coming for the Shadow Shapers, and she needs to finish that mural, and she needs to trust Robbie, who she colloquially refers to as Robbie the Walking Mural. Why is he a walking mural? He has tattoos all over his body. He's like this uh, withdrawn uh, Haitian kid who not a lot of people know, but he's like always carrying a sketchbook and like... He's all of his clothes have prints on them, like he is the walking mural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she goes to her mom and is like, "Okay, so Grandpa, who never talks, just told me about the shadow shapers. Mom, what's up?" And her mom's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and I, in the moment, like I'm reading it, and Sierra immediately follows up with, "Like that's weird, because you look an awful lot like you know what I'm talking about." <laughs> And I wanted to give her, like, in the moment, I'm, like, snapping with the books that I wanted to give her props for not letting her mom off the hook for a second. And then, like, Benny steals her friend Benny. uh, She steals her away to this party where you get introduced to the group that I talked about before with Big Jerome and and T and Izzy and everybody. And it's kind of cool that, like, T and Izzy, both girls are, like, casually in a relationship, like, Older doesn't make a big stink out of it. It's just like, these are people who love each other. Cool. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, He does that a lot in a way that that's one example of just like, this is a diverse group of people in this book. Uh, She she meets up with Robbie and they get to talking. And it's very clear right away that he knows about the Shadow Shapers. And again, we don't know what the Shadow Shapers are, but I bet you can infer it as something to do with the crying mural yeah sure shaping shadows shaping shadows and while they're while she's getting to know robbie and trying to figure out if he's going to be like uh, a cool guy or not and actually like help her out figuring out what's going on because you know her grandpa was like let's let's uh you gotta go trust him um this like guy shows up at the party and he is he's like wearing he's way too old for the party he's like wearing this like white suit and he's kind of walking like a zombie and immediately robbie's like we gotta get out of here we gotta run 
See you later. Bye. And he just jets and leaves her hanging. <laughs> cool. And this happens multiple times throughout the book. And you later they start referring to these things as corpuscles or corpuscules. And this guy comes up to her, grabs Sierra's arm. It knows her name and is like totally wigging her out. And she manages to like run away and escape. And later finds out that this other old guy used to hang out with her grandpa named Vernon had like disappeared uh, like a day or two before. And that was totally him. So Mm -hmm. like he had the implication being that maybe he'd reanimated He'd come after her. Again, you don't really know what's what's going on here. Okay. Okay. I. Mm, okay. Well, you have a question. Hit me with a question. I don't know if I have a question. I'm just like you'd said earlier about how magic just works however it really needs to in the <laughs> for the story to move forward in this world. But like, what what kind of a fancy world are we dealing with here? Is it like zombies? Is it just like a poorly and and maybe not maybe not poorly poorly has a has connotations i'm maybe not trying to imply but just like an ill-defined set of magical rules that just lets whatever happen that needs to happen or like what kind of what kind of supernaturalness are we working with so we're working with spirits and ghosts uh and not like casper ghosts not Mm -hmm. like uh, the ring ghosts or something like that. On a scale, on a scale from one to ten, like Beetlejuices, like how many, how similar like, are they to Beetlejuice? Uh, they're like a five in the way that like Alec Baldwin is also a ghost in that movie. Okay. And what's her name? The other one. So maybe they know Beetlejuice. They've heard of him. They're but aware they, of they his work. They themselves are not Beetlejuice. Yes, correct. Okay, good. I'm so, glad that we've straightened this out. <laughs> Uh, so what this is kind of the next section of the book is where she starts to find out about shadow shaping and she learns that there was this guy named Jonathan Wick he was a white anthropologist who had like gotten in with her grandpa and was studying this group called the shadow shapers and what they were able to do is infuse like art with spirits so they can like see spirits in the world around them in ways that like you and i can't see because like we're not part of the matrix or whatever and they can trap them in paintings they don't trap them they like lend they give the spirits form so these kind of like formless ghosts are always in the world around us they're our ancestors they're our heritage um and you can give them form in whatever art you create. I'm just saying, give them form and whatever art you create sounds like the PR spin on trapping ghosts inside your art. Maybe that's not what it's like, but that's what it seems like. So it sounds, there's like, when Robbie explains it later, there's there's two main components, and one is that there's like a material, and one is that there's like intention. So if you're creating a work of art that is meaningful to you and you use a lasting material, you can the the spirit will want to help you make it because it mm-hmm. wants to it wants to have a connection to the living world. So you give it one through whatever you're making. So there are a couple murals 
that you encounter throughout the book that are memorials. They are for people who have died or, or fallen or passed. And the implication is that shadow shapers have like brought that person's spirit to that mural um, to honor them and to like give that person a little extra life or whatever it might be. Okay. Um, and it gets a little fuzzy later when like her brother turns out to be a shadow shaper and he's a musician and like spirits are just like all around him and his music's really good. <laughs> so like, I think it's trying to say that he can like shadow shape into his tunes. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and then later you find out that her grandpa was a storyteller and he could shape into stories. And what that means is that the effect usually is that whoever's experiencing either that music or that art or that story feels it more potently because the spirit actually like honors whatever emotion you are pouring into the work of art. Mm-hmm. So like, you can imagine that this is like the good version of it where we're making cool murals that honor uh, our family or we're telling stories that are meant to pull your heartstrings. You could also shape evil, right? And like take, you could have someone draw monsters and then like have those monsters come to life. Yeah? Yeah. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, And the, the spirits like need the shapers to be... uh. They, like, they don't do anything on their own. They only really respond to shapers and other people who can, can, can control them. Um, yeah, I, that's what I mean when it's like kind of nebulous and there to serve the story. I think it has a real thematic power that I will do poor justice on this show as I try not to just walk us through the entire plot. Right. Um, because the spirits are... They each have a story to tell of someone that they were, right? And mm-hmm. they're when Sierra is able to start using them and even like she can draw something on the ground with a piece of chalk and then like draw some spirits to it and then use whatever that thing she drew with the chalk. At, at one point, it's just like lines. So basically she can like, it's kind of like weaponized Harold and the purple crayon. Like she's just like <laughs> throwing chalk at Robbie as they're like testing their powers. Which is it kind would of, be really easy to use that purple crayon for ill instead of good, right? Mm-hmm. You could like make like really magic easy. ghost money. Magic ghost money, like magic nukes. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. That's the fear. I think that's like, that's what they don't want to happen with this stuff. Well, and that's why purple crayons are outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Also, yes, I. Because <laughs> yeah. we're worried about worried about the crayon nukes. Good jokes. Um, but yeah, so they're they're honoring their heritage as they're using this magic. And so when I brought up this guy Jonathan Wick earlier, he is the antagonist of the book. Mm-hmm. It, there's a couple passages that hint that maybe he at least didn't set out to be a bad guy, but he dives deep into this culture that is not his own and gets uh, Grandpa Lazaro to train him. This is several years ago. And he basically appropriates this magical power for his own ends. 
There's another set of magical entities called the Shrouds that we meet like once or twice, and it's unclear if they're evil or not. But they but they want control over the Shadow Shapers, so they like use him to infiltrate them and then like take their take their abilities. So, so what he's are, like, like, what are this? Is, this takes place in Brooklyn, right? Like, yeah. what what is supposed to be some version of Brooklyn as it actually exists? Yeah, like, what role did the Shadow Shapers like fulfill in this community? Like, what we we've established that we don't know a hundred percent why, like, how they work, but like, why why are they? Like, what purpose did they serve in in quote unquote real life? That is unclear to me. Okay. I will say. Is it all just symbolism for gentrification? Not just gentrification. But that sort of milieu of things. Well, and, and assault assault on inadvertent and otherwise on culture by the study of that culture from outsiders. Right. Um I think there it's also in the the flip side of that, the positive light is being able to draw on your heritage for greater understanding and inner strength and sympathy for your community and your family. Um, The couple times that we see shaping happen in a positive light when it's not like, you know, combat Herald uh, or other later versions of that power. Um, There's a couple combat Combat Herald when he draws like a suit of mech armor or something with his crayon. Yeah, and then it's like, but it's like the coolest one is got four wings and it looks like a turtle. Why not? Mm -hmm. Because Harold's four. He doesn't Mm -hmm. know any better. Right. Um, There are like two really positive sequences where you see shaping in action. One, uh, Robbie and Sierra go to a club and they dance together and Robbie has drawn all these murals all over the club. And he does, he never you're never quite sure that everyone in the club can see that these murals are kind of coming to life as the night takes, you know, takes shape around them. But it does seem to affect the mood of that space. Like it does benefit these like older people who are all dancing together and seem to have a new lease on life. And then later when her brother has this concert and she can see the shadows around him, like both protecting and supporting him, and his music, multiple times his music is cited throughout the book as being like transportative and capable of moving you in a way that you wouldn't expect. So I feel like it's about heightening art and this art is drawing on on community and ancestry and heritage, I think. Okay, okay. Um, so I, I we kind of dug deep into the themes of the book it is a pretty straightforward plot and i I mentioned dark is rising earlier for a good reason because it's kind of like all right that's the bad guy he's gonna be the bad guy for the rest of the book sure right like what's the hero's journey in this in this book and does is it like set up for sequels is it kind of a self-contained thing uh the the hero's journey i'll try to answer those in order um it is well i'll answer them reverse order it's not self-contained in that I know there are sequels coming. Um, the book feels relatively self-contained in that she sets out to vanquish this dude, and she does. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's a lot the plot is a lot of her like a like a lot of these first chapters in a story like this it is her uncovering why and how she has these powers in the first place and what the heck she's supposed to do with them while bad things are happening and these people who ran with her grandpa doing shadow shaping are slowly getting offed one by one as this guy tries to uh you know take all of their power for himself mm-hmm. um from it it's also about her and Robbie slowly getting together. I don't know that they're like technically in a relationship at the end of the book, but there's a lot about both of them kind of feeling like others wherever they go. Um, she tells a, a story to the, you know, she doesn't tell the story, but it's one of those like close third person um, private moments with Sierra. Sure. Yeah. Where just before she's about to go on a, on a date with him, She's talking about how she never feels quite right in her clothes. And I think the phrase is something like she's she's always trying to suggest things with her Puerto Rican body rather than making declarative statements. And because she can never control what those statements are based on the clothes she's wearing. Okay. Um, and at one point she talks about being on the Internet and like describing her herself as being coffee with not enough milk in it. And speaks rather eloquently about like putting that inferiority complex on herself, like that coloring complex on herself rather mm-hmm. than it actually coming in from anyone in particular. Um, and so she's kind of getting over that hurdle as she's being told she is special. Like a lot of these books have that, that protagonist that doesn't feel special and then is you know, repeatedly told throughout the book reasons why they are and then has to act on it in spite of previous evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, where, uh, sorry. No, I, okay. can, I can like dive into plot right now, but I feel like we've lost that thread. And so it's hard for me to just like jump. Right yeah, in. it's, I mean, we've been, we've been going for a while and it sounds like a book where the plot is there, but it's maybe not the only thing or even like the most interesting thing it's true it's, it's true like how the characters interact with each other and the and the way that the magical supernatural stuff is being used to comment on real world stuff is is maybe more interesting than oh character a goes from point x to point y and it's a, a fun time was had by all yeah, there is levity. There are fun characters. Her uncle Neville like helps her sneak into Columbia a couple times to do research on this anthropologist dude. And at one point he he gets her into the library. This is like both goofy plot moment and tied into the some of the thematic stuff where she needs to get in the library. She can't cuz she's in high school. And wait, what? Uh, she needs to get into the Columbia Library. Okay. The Columbia University. She doesn't she, have an ID. Oh, and she can't because she's yeah. in high school. Okay. I was like, wait, can she not just get a library card? Like, what? No. Okay. Uh, and her Uncle Neville, like, walks into the, like, the quad of Columbia University and, like, puts down his briefcase and then walks away and, like, causes a big hubbub, which allows her to sneak in. And when she meets up with him later, she's like, 
Uncle Neville, why did you, what was in, what was in your briefcase? Like, what happened? And he's like, it was empty. Mm-hmm. But no, no one's comfortable with a black man just putting down a bag and walking away in Columbia. Yeah. And you're like, oh, Uncle Neville, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like really roguish about it. And kind of like, whatever, it's fine. I'm helping out my, I'm helping out my niece. It's cool. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's kind of fun. And she d- then discovers like the one like let's put a character out there and then have some suspicion about her is this character Nydia who works in the library and ultimately helps her like uncover the truth about Jonathan Wick, the anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the closest the book comes to like, can we trust this person? There's a little bit of that with Robbie, but most most of the time, like people are on the up and up. And when Sierra is like upset with them, it's not because she doesn't understand if they're on her side. It's because like she doesn't understand why they're behaving a certain way to her because they're dealing with the end of the their own universe in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two things I want to talk about as we're kind of wrapping up are, are these peripheral thematic things that older does that I think are really effective. One is Benny's cousin, I believe. Let me just double check. His name is Vincent and you never meet him. Benny's brother, actually, excuse me. Um, there's a portrait of him. He's one of the murals that I mentioned earlier uh, that you see crying. And, and as the shadow shapers are dying, these murals are fading. So that's kind of the ticking clock for what's going on. Um, you're introduced to him through this mural. And then kind of matter-of-factly, the narrator just says, um, Vincent had been killed by the cops three years back. His towering image stood tall against the cement wall, arms crossed over his chest, his, his name written in bubbly letters across the front of his favorite hoodie. The artist had painted him smiling, that terrific Vincent Cheeseball grin he'd flash after making a really stupid joke. Now his eyebrows arched and his jaw jotted out out with a sharp frown as he glared into the distance. And, like, that type of violence in a city for minorities is not a, like, beat-by-beat part of the plot. It It is almost treated as an environmental hazard, in the world of these characters in a way that is like powerful in how understated it is. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of want to include that because there's a, there's a similar moment later when Sierra gets attacked by one of the, by one of the spirits that is under Wick's control. And she ends up in a neighborhood that is not her own. It's really, it's almost suburban in its makeup to say that people are white, even though she doesn't actually know that as she's running around Mm -hmm. and she gets attacked by this spirit that other people can't see. And she's just kind of on the ground hurt and she overhears people not coming to help her, but talking loudly about like, why is she there? Is she, you know, someone from that club around the corner? Is she ODing? Someone should call the cops. Like no one steps forward to do anything about it. Um, but it's clear that there's an outsider in their midst who is in trouble or causing trouble. Uh, and these, you know, ultimately her brother shows up and ends up saving her. But these kind of moments just drop in throughout the book. As when you mentioned earlier, like, is the magic in this book there just as a as part of that anti-gentrification theme? I think it's 
it's more than that um to discuss the race of these characters he's also you know very astutely i think putting them you know showing the context around them and showing the barriers that they're up against right even though i think it is ultimately that you know it is their story it's not like there is one character who isn't uh latino in any way and that's the one bad guy Mm -hmm. um it's just, and I don't think he thinks he's a bad guy at first, um, and that's that's a little sneaky too. Like he kind of just wanted to get in and find out what was going on. Well, I think that I mean that reflects the, I don't know, the way that a lot of like gentrifiers or white people or whatever are, is they, they don't think they're part of the problem or they're not like intentionally doing anything, but they're still just by nature of who they are and what they're doing. They are part of the problem. It's, 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 yeah, I don't know. Uh, one of the last things that that character says, Jonathan Wick, as he is, uh, being defeated, he says, it started as fascination. It was an act of love to spread the knowledge, knowledge of the tradition. It's what your grandfather wanted. And then she interrupts him and, and finishes him off. Um, and I think to your point, like, I think it's this actually to take it all the way back to the beginning of the show. One of the things that, older said in that is like this is this was not written for white people to relate to in a specific way like he's this is his story for the people he's writing about um that doesn't mean that i didn't enjoy it reading it um but i certainly came across his passengers like all right i don't want to do that that Mm -hmm. this is this is this is not a book that is trying to be instructive and yet i found it powerfully so for me as a white reader okay um it's a cool book it's fun like we didn't really dive into when like the dragon mural comes off the wall and becomes a real dragon and stuff like Wait, that's what? the part is that that's, like, the, that's this is a book where that's like oh i guess there's a footnote like whatever no it's just it, like like i said before we get into combat herald purple crayon mode right. where like artwork becomes a thing that can leap off walls and attack people because like that is the end game of that type of magic. All right. Um, So I think this is a, this is, if you are into YA at all, you should read this book. If you are into, uh, I think this, I would love to talk to a like middle schooler or a teenager who's read this book and just like, see what they think. I also love to have a, someone from Brooklyn read this book and see what they think. see if it measures up right but yeah it's a cool book i don't know i don't know how you feel about magic and stuff like this andrew i mean i i feel like it's fine i don't know like as long as it has some kind of point okay which it sounds like it does mm-hmm. it's just well, it's it sometimes magic is is there to be used as a tool in someone's story that's about you know whatever they happen to be doing and sometimes magic is a stand-in for some real, some like abstract real-world concept, which it seems like that's the way it's being used here. That's true. It reminded me of this kind of magic. Reminds me of Tolkien in that, like, it's not no one's sitting down casting specific spells. Like people just do magic. No, sometimes. just like oh, sometimes people just set pine cones on fire or whatever, <laughs> or make people like drop stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show, I guess. Okay. I want to thank everyone 
who has tweeted or Facebooked about the show, they can you can do that this week at facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. I want to thank Mary in particular who shared with us that awesome banicula cake uh, that's been tearing up our social yeah, media. That was, the that past was pretty week. cool. Uh, so I want to thank Albi, Ricky, Michael, Amanda, Catherine, Pete, Tessa, Haley, uh, Kara, Lucas, Margaret, Elizabeth, Catherine, uh, Camille, and Christina, Dana, who let us know that Mandy Moore is okay. She's fine. She's taken spin classes. Uh, Lydia, Rebecca, Sarah, Paul, Taylor, the miraculous Katie Bug, Zach, and Carmen. You can also write us some emails at overduepod at gmail.com. We are, you know, stockpiling away for future Q&A episodes. We're responding to letters as we can. So please send those in. Andrew. Greg. If folks wanted to learn more about the show, where would they go? Uh, they could go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website where we have links to our iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and RSS feeds. Those are all ways you can use to subscribe to the show. And get new episodes when they drop on Mondays, or in the case of our bonus episodes, like pretty much whenever we get them up. <laughs> I think we're doing one this week, right? We're yeah, we're doing one super soon. Um, I well, I didn't read anything. The um, appointment <laughs> television crew uh, did an episode on Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah, so that's me and and Margaret H. Wilson and Catherine Van Arendonk. They've all been on the show before individually. Uh, so that was a fun episode to record, and it's going to go up pretty soon. Um, if you subscribe on iTunes, do rate and review us because it's the, I don't know, it's the best way for people to discover the show. It's the easiest way for them to find it because iTunes is still really huge in the world of podcasts. And if people are looking for new stuff, they look for what's popular on them charts. So do rate and review us. Um, also on our website, we have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, and to our Patreon page, which is a way you can su- support the show in an ongoing way. Um, and if you donate at the $5 a month level or higher, we will bump a book of your choice up to the top of our reading list, which is the case with this week's episode. So thanks to everyone who's been supporting us. It really means a lot. And yeah, it's just it's really endlessly flattering and great. It is. Um, I don't know what I'm reading next week yet. I do know that we should talk about the live show again. It's Saturday, August 20th, 6 p.m., Tattooed Mom. We've got a Facebook event going, and we're going to keep tweeting about that and posting on Facebook about that. And just if you are going to show up or if you would like to show up, um, indicate your interest in that Facebook group and let us know. Um, I'm going to be reading Watership Down. It's about bunnies. Let's go. about crazy dead bunnies. If you have a bunny that you could get into this bar, I would like to meet it. I don't know if you would want to bring a bunny to Watership Down, Craig. That seems mean to the bunny. I haven't started reading it yet. I just got it in the mail. I'm going to crack it open. Is the bunny okay? Uh, yes. Great. I can't wait. I can't De- wait to meet everyone's bunny. Definitely. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back next Monday. Until then, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.